Hey, before we get started, if you are ready to pass your exams and become a licensed architect, you're going to want to listen to this. We are revolutionizing architectural education. It is my goal and mission to help as many people as possible become licensed architects while still maintaining their happiness. So introducing the architecture of play. This is our secret podcast series that will transform the way you study and prep for your ARE. Imagine having a happy work-life balance while also pursuing your dream of becoming a licensed architect. I promise you, it is possible. Our seven-episode private podcast gives you exclusive access to the secrets that can make this dream a reality. Remember, the more fun you have, the more likely you are to pass your exams and become a licensed architect. Start listening today at dci.beyoungdesign.com slash secret podcast. Don't miss out. This is going to transform your exam prep and help you enjoy the process of becoming a licensed architect. All right, enjoy the episode. Welcome to Design, Create, Inspire with me, Bryn Young. I'm an architect and entrepreneur with a background in interior design and small business management. I have been running a successful award-winning architecture firm for over six years, and I'm here to discuss all things design and business. There are over 1 million podcasts to choose from, so thank you for taking the time to chat with me today. I hope to bring you value with every episode I create, so let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Design, Create, Inspire. Thank you for joining me on another wonderful week of the podcast. Today, I'm very excited to bring Maria Riedler on with me. She is an interior designer, and I really wanted to bring her on because a couple reasons. One, I wanted to establish what exactly is an interior designer and kind of what their roles are and what the difference is between an interior designer and a decorator, because I think that that's really important. And we actually talk a little bit about that at the end. So definitely stay tuned to listen about that because it is important. But also, I really wanted to talk to her about the roles and the responsibilities of the different factors in building and designing a project. So Many of you may know that when you design and build a project, you usually have a contractor, of course. You typically have an architect and then sometimes an interior designer. However, in the design world, there's often negative perceptions of an interior designer from architects. And then also from interior designers, there's negative perceptions of architects. There's like, and then also contractors. It's like everyone's all, you know, pointing fingers and I don't know, it just can be contentious. And I think that that can lead to not a positive experience. It can lead to not a fluid project. And in the end, really just disadvantages everybody, including the client. And so I wanted to bring on an interior designer to talk about how to, you know, make that role seamless and how to work together, how to collaborate and how to build and design the best project for the client. Because in the end, that is everybody's goal. In the end, we all want a really beautiful final design. And in my opinion, having a really great team, including an interior designer, including an architect, and including a contractor is really the key to success. So we talk about 
how she gets started, when she likes to be involved, how to work, you know, well together, what that process looks like. So I'm going to let her discuss more about it. And I hope that this is valuable to you, especially if you're an architect. I hope that you can maybe have a different perception of interior designers if for some reason you, you know, maybe were nervous or didn't want to work with one. I hope that this maybe inspires you to work with one and the benefits really that they can bring onto the project. So let's get started. Maria Riedler is the owner designer of San Diego based residential interior and commercial consulting firm, A Design Space. With over 12 years of industry experience, Maria has learned that working with a strong team is essential for the best outcomes and ensuring a fun process. Her work has ranged in scope from designing custom homes with clients, consulting on master plan communities, and designing model homes with builders, to selecting restaurant furniture for restaurateurs and developers. Whether it is a place to live, work, or visit, a design space understands how these environments affect our lives and the impact they have on us day to day. Maria is here to make your space work for you and add to your life. And I have her on the show with me to talk all about the process of working with a team and what an interior designer actually is. So hello, Maria. Thank you for being here. Hi, friend. Of course. Um, (laughs) Yes. And uh, (laughs) just to start off, I wanted to hear a little bit about your story because I can tell, I know that you're very fashionable. You like look like a designer as soon as <laughs> you come into a room. So was that always like your passion or what you wanted to do or when did that kind of start? Yeah. So I kind of always loved fashion and getting my room, you know, situated growing up. I think it always was something that just kind of uh, being a creative was always there and just putting things together. So whether it was, you know, the outfit Thank you very much, Brent. <laughs> or if it was my room growing up, which always had different paints, um, it kind of was always just the assembly of a creative and aesthetic uh, was always top of the, you know, the brain. And when I went to, to college, I actually wanted to go the route of fashion. So merchandising was something on my radar. I graduated with that got into the real world. I had marketing also. I double majored in marketing and merchandising, figuring I could kind of at some point own or um, create a residential or I'm sorry, a retail store. And I love that idea of an ownership that also was something that people could come and see. So my mom actually was the one to recommend interior design. And of course, I was halfway through my studies in undergrad and I was determined to get that done. So I got into the real world and that was when I was more marketing. I really realized at that point that my calling was what I loved was interiors. And that was when it kind of became more known. I feel like all the shows were coming out at that point to really know that as, um, as a career path. I think I just didn't, I wasn't knowledgeable about that until after kind of in my mid-20s. So I went back to school, uh, went to Art Institute and studied interior design. And that was an awesome program because it was super heavy into um, technology. We had just the best systems training. I was in AutoCAD, which is our, you know, 
that's what I was in eight hours a day. And that's really where, you know, I didn't get any of that training in my undergrad for fashion. I came out of school kind of feeling like I was already behind because there were so many programs I didn't learn. So that was a real uh, change. And that was kind of putting together business and technology and aesthetics and all wrapped up into one. I then, uh, when I graduated that school, I actually was, it was in the midst of um, the economic meltdown. So I was looking for jobs everywhere in Southern California. And I landed with an awesome design firm in Orange County. Uh, at the time it was called Bliss Design. And we were located in like the heart of Newport Beach and did custom builds on these estates and learned a lot from the designer there, who's O'Hara Davies Gaetano. It's now called O'Hara Davies Gaetano Design Firm. And really learned like, you know, the highest end of design. Um, really sourcing from Europe and seeing these incredible architectural masterpieces, working with architects, working with people that were just at the top of their game. And that was crucial for kind of developing some of the sourcing, some of the, um, you know, the higher end looks and what is even possible out there. And then <laughs> I left there because I wanted to come back to San Diego and I landed at the best model home design firm in the country. So oh my goodness. it's Brian Young Interiors in San Diego. And it's a, a larger firm. And then I switched to do model homes for some of the top developers. Is so that a female? It is a female. I think so I follow her on Instagram. Kara Ryan is amazing. So. <laughs> She's where I learned a lot of business savvy. And uh, so it was completely switching gears. But I got to learn how to, with tighter budgets, of course, make a project look amazing, function great, um, get fast and really get confident in my design aesthetic. Um, you have to work fast. Uh, you produce a lot of work, but it has to be beautiful because it's Toll Brothers, it's Woodside Homes, it's the top one. So um, I credit a lot of both of those firms as developing where I'm at now because I think the resourcefulness and the aesthetic are really kind of key to helping my clients um, get the best bang for their buck, get quality, um, know the different you know, resources out there. And so, you know, now I then switched gears completely because I wanted to get into commercial, get into the restaurant and hospitality. So I'm not, um, I'm contracted for a commercial furniture dealer. So we work with architecture firms on developing hospitality projects. So, um, you know, I developed everything. kind of a little bit of everything and then came together last year to create a design space and really help facilitate any of my clients' needs. Um, and yeah, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> yeah. And that makes so, so much sense, especially like starting off with marketing and then going into your own business is perfect because you already have that experience with how to even get that going, um, how to market yourself. And then like you were saying, going from high end where you're learning how to source everything, you're getting that eye and then going into where you're having to like, think about the budget and figure that <laughs> yeah. all. that's a lot of experience that I think a lot of people don't get before you know going off on their own so that's I huge. do think it's really important to even the higher end projects there's a budget you know and and 
really making use of that in the best way is pretty crucial. Um, you want to work as a partner with your client and know that you have their back. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're making the best project for them or for their clients that you can within the constraints of that project. Mm -hmm. so. and, and I think it's about respecting that budget too. It's respecting the client because I hear so often from like contractors that they, uh, one thing they complain about is, oh, the architect or designer didn't take into the budget at all. And so when it came to us to price it, the project doesn't even move forward because they can't afford it. And so I right. think right. it's so important for designers to have an idea of budget. And sometimes that's hard to figure out how to even do that. But I think through experience or even, I feel like contractors are also open to feedback or giving that right. information too. I think just like figuring that out because yeah, if you design, if you over design over budget projects dead pretty much. Right. And have a <laughs> bad client or a mad client too. Right. So I think that is where you use that, the partnerships that you have in the project to really help. I'm not the greatest at material costs. I know per budget or per square foot, excuse me, um, what we can do in general, but I really rely on my contractors to help me get to a realistic figure in my head. So I'm sourcing the, the square footage I know for tile is within what they were thinking mm -hmm. and what they gave the client. And, uh, you know, that's where you really have to have good relationships and partner well, because mm -hmm. then it goes mostly. I, I have found. Yeah. And that's when it's good to have a good team, but also have a good team early on. So that's a good point. Like at what phase of a project are you usually brought on as an interior designer? Hey, before we get started, if you are ready to pass your exams and become a licensed architect, you're going to want to listen to this. We are revolutionizing architectural education. It is my goal and mission to help as many people as possible become licensed architects while still maintaining their happiness. So introducing the architecture of play. This is our secret podcast series that will transform the way you study and prep for your ARE. Imagine having a happy work-life balance while also pursuing your dream of becoming a licensed architect. I promise you, it is possible. Our seven-episode private podcast gives you exclusive access to the secrets that can make this dream a reality. Remember, the more fun you have, the more likely you are to pass your exams and become a licensed architect. Start listening today at dci.beyoungdesign.com slash secret podcast. Don't miss out. This is going to transform your exam prep and help you enjoy the process of becoming a licensed architect. All right, back to the episode. Well, ideally, I always believe in kind of setting up your team early on. Um, I, if it's a new build or if it's a, a larger remodel, I believe in bringing an interior designer on uh, pretty soon. So kind of at the same point as your contractor and your architect, making sure everyone jives together is helpful in the beginning. Um, one where one person's kind of um, scope, I guess, ends, it kind of blends into another person's and there is overlap. Absolutely. What I'm kind of there for 
in the beginning is really figuring out what the client, kind of um, the Q&As, the R&D, figuring out what the client and what the project wants to be, what their goals are um, aesthetically and also functionally. So I'm looking at the interior and the architect is, of course, laying that out, but it's kind of a hand-in-hand process. So I love coming in at the beginning and helping in the process of the actual layout on site and helping to make sure we're maximizing views, making sure the flow interior-wise makes sense with what they're wanting to do furniture-wise, because it does play um, on where the walls land, you know, what we're looking at. Do we have a headboard wall? (laughs) Do we have places to plug in all of our electronics? Are these people really active? Do they need a mudroom? What does that look like? And thinking of thinking through the built-ins at the very early stage. So we're making sure we're allowing enough storage. Um, ideally, that's the case. If it's a smaller project that it's just a contractor and I, you know, again, it's great to come in from the beginning, but sometimes it's demo to the studs and I'm coming in. Um, but I'm fine working either way. If it's a smaller project, of course, um, at concept, it's nice to come in and help them figure out their budget and figure out like, what's the big bang for your buck? Are you going to add moldings? Are you going to add paint? Should you switch out the floors? Um, so I, I always believe in partnering at the very beginning. Yeah. And I think that's an important thing because it's good to have that team, but it's also important to figure out everyone's roles. So there's not like stepping on toes and everything. And I think that that can be difficult. And um, I'm not going to lie. It's, you know, we're women and stuff, but it is a misogynistic world out there. And I have had times where I come in with a contractor and it's like, they're like, oh, well, we don't need to listen to you because, you know, you're a little girl or whatever. (laughs) So that has been tough. So sometimes even when you try to create that relationship, sometimes it's not respected. But I do think communication very early on is super important. But I wonder how, I don't know if you have experience with this, but how to deal with those roles or how to deal with that communication. Yeah, I think it's always um, great when you've had those relationships established. Um, that's why, you know, uh, projects that are the second project working with someone, you already have that established. That's not normally the case. And so I'm actually working due to COVID on some projects where I haven't even met the client in person. I mean, there's been Zoom calls and there's been Q&A kind of questionnaires back and forth. Um, and Zoom calls, but the actual face-to-face, we haven't established that relationship. So not just with the contractors and the architects, but with clients, it's really important to have initial meetings, to be really upfront about where you are, what you can offer, um, to, to hold yourself to what you say you're gonna do, the high integrity will only kind of establish you as a solid person and team member and really own that. So I find that by time, you know, by the time you get to drawings, I like to have had a lot of different meetings with the parties that are involved. I always am, like I said, very upfront about what I can offer. I never want to step on their toes, but I want to offer them me as a resource. And so I kind of treat it like that, where I come to them open plate. I, this is what I am doing here this is what I can help with and let them let us kind of naturally establish a relationship that's a good working 
um, relationship, always communication is really key. So I really believe in, in extra communication, especially at first, um, the phone calls, the emails, being really on top of it so that they know that you are a solid person to work with. Mm-hmm. And then of course, um, there's always throughout a project, there's going to be some miscommunication that happens. There's going to be something that gets, you know, missed on some parties, uh, plate. So being there as a problem solver, as someone that, you know, is willing to make it work to compromise. I think it just is kind of a work in progress to establish that, but being someone that's easy to work with communication is key. Um, and knowing that what my role is letting them know what that can be, but it really has to be kind of a open conversation about where my role ends, what is the expectation of you as an architect or as a contractor. Um, yeah, there's kind of no right path. It just has to be that you, you're there and you represent the client really. Mm-hmm. And you're clear about it. Yeah. I, um, when in the process of getting licensed as an architect, they show these like matrix matrices of roles and responsibilities of the different parties. But I feel like in the real world, I haven't really seen those. I don't know if, because I usually do work on smaller projects, but I feel like having something like that laid out that the client could see too would be super clear and helpful because then it's like the client understands that if they're wanting to do a certain thing, they know to go to maybe the interior designer, but then the interior designer, like if there's changes there, the architect also needs to know, which then the contractor needs to know. It's like, it's like a, a web of things, but it's it, like, you're saying like, if one thing gets missed, it's pretty easy to, you know, miss it then. Yeah. I think I do an outline of my schedule um, based on what my next steps in the phase are so that the client can kind of can really one, not get so overwhelmed with the huge project, right? The design process is set up so that you clearly are getting to each part of the project in a way that makes sense. It's fluid, it's thorough, um, and it breaks it down. So I like to show that one because it's, it's kind of making the anxiety drop. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's letting them know a realistic time frame, And I really work with the contractor on what their schedule is to make sure those, you know, action items on my end that he's waiting for, we give it enough time for so that no one's waiting on me and, and the client on our decisions um, to move forward. So I think I do that internally. And I think it would be a really nice thing because I really deal with the contractor's um, schedule. I have my own kind of schedule. And the architect is usually at the very beginning. Um, but I do think a matrix for everyone would be nice to have. Like, what are we waiting on? What can't move forward till this? Um, I can be working on something while the architect's still in plan process, which usually does happen. Mm-hmm. So that's a good idea. Yeah, I know. And then it's like, but then who manages that? And then like, you know, I mean, it's, it's a good idea in theory, but it's like, how do you? And I know that um, at least the way the AIA contracts are set up, they want the architect to be like the point person for everybody I know that in the real world, that's not always the case. I know a lot of times it's like the contractor, which makes sense because the contractor is on, you know, I, I guess before you start design, it makes sense for architect, but when you are in construction, it does make sense for the contractor to be 
kind of that point person because they're in the field every day. They're working with the schedule, the budget. Yeah, and I do feel like they're from the start to the finish of the project. However, some of them don't want to be, or I don't know how to explain this. I think some are more project manager focused and some are um, needing to be a little focused or like, you know, they kind of want someone to, to drive it. And that's when it really is necessary for us to have that conversation. And you can kind of read that from early correspondence. I feel like some contractors are like very hard on the clients to get, you know, the architect and the interior designer signed on, which is awesome. They're kind of keeping on tabs and you see that in like them getting back to you. Um, some are a little more casual and, you know, job site visits are sometimes needed to just mm -hmm. pop in and make sure it's going on track. And it just depends on who you get, but I don't have a problem when you have a good team, someone taking that role or it being me. It's just kind of needed to know at the beginning who's project managing. So. Yeah, and that's a good point because I think that's the exact same for architects too because there's certain architects um, that I know that they like to hand off the project to the contractor and then they've, they're never seen again. It's like, on to the next. <laughs> so in that situation, they wouldn't be good for, for a project management system. Right. So I guess that's a good point is it, it kind of depends on each person, how they work. And some of the, sometimes a client is more aligned with certain members of the team as well. So sometimes they really, you know, are kind of on site all the time. So then then the contractor are going to be hand in hand. So again, this is a fluid kind of thing. And I know everyone wants their work to be represented correctly and successfully. So you just have to really trust your team. And as a person that really, you know, wants my work to shine and the client to get what they ask for, I'm going to be probably more on site uh, than some people. And I won't really hand off until the very end, especially because my work also continues through to the branching, mm -hmm. you know, furniture and fixtures phase. But I'm okay with someone running the show. I just will probably be there. <laughs> mm -hmm. Which is good though, because you have to be on, and I've found that too, when I've done finishes, you are basically there till the very end, even after the final clean, because yeah. you know, you're working on final wallpaper, or, you know, something that maybe was an afterthought. And so you really do need to be involved. And then especially if you're doing the furnishings, like you're saying, or right. artwork yeah. or anything like that. Yeah, it's, it's fun. But I, I think having the team, uh, just reiterating again, to have a solid team, work through all the communication, um, the budget, the timelines, all that being very upfront is so crucial. So yeah, so people don't feel like someone's stepping on toes or I've heard before, you know, I'm part of this architecture group and they love to talk trash on interior designers. Like it's, I mean, some of them, it's just really intense. And I started out in interior design. So like I'm, I'm, I'm sitting back quietly just observing, <laughs> but it's, I'm learning from it because I'm like, okay, well, how can you deal with that? And I think one of the things is what we're saying is a good team, good communication. One thing um, I've heard a couple of people say is like, they work from the very beginning. They've done all the work with the client, the schematic design, all these things. They've come up with these ideas. Client maybe has said no. You know, they develop this plan. And then 
at the end, once construction is ready to start, they have an interior designer come on and then they make a suggestion that maybe was suggested already. And then the client's like, okay, sure. And then they like change it all. And so the contractor, or I mean, the architect feels like, you know, what are they doing? They're changing my whole plan. And so I think that's where like their ego starts getting and also their hard work too. So I do, yeah. I do see in terms of um, a visual of where their space is going. I think when it does get to the interior design, I think we are working in tangible conceptual imagery and it helps. It helps them see their vision of what their space or what they think would be cool and like the designer's vision for their space. They're seeing it in, in you know, digital format or they're seeing it's tangible. They're seeing the actual materials. So some layouts even affect that because you're then changing what the specs are. And I would totally understand that frustration because, you know, you've developed and you've worked so hard, but some clients are just not totally visual. And it's when they get in the inside and they get really per space that then they can have a better idea of what it's going to be. And yeah, I, I could see that frustration. and but that. Why okay. I Sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. No, just that's why I see having us both there at the beginning could really help. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because we could do like the macro and then, you know, you can go into the micro and this, the individual spaces that maybe as an architect, we just don't even have time for. It's not even in our scope of work to do the individual, you know, colors and stuff because we don't, you know, I mean, we lay it out and we'll do rendering or I don't, I rarely do renderings. I do like sketches and stuff. Cause I find when you do renderings, it's like too real and the client, it just gets out of control. But if you did have an interior designer on from the very beginning and you could kind of work together so that they could visualize it better, that would be helpful. Cause I agree. Like no matter how many 3d sketches I do, sometimes a client just cannot visualize it. So sometimes the walls are up. And then it's like the contractor's frustration, things change. Um, I, do, I do think that it could work as a team better as the architect and the designer to, to really sell the client on a vision, you know? Um, so yeah, again, why it's kind of crucial. And there's always a little friction with design and architects. I, I think that, you know, it's, you're part of a project and, and even with the contractor as well. There's always gonna be, he builds it, the architects you know, design it, the interior designs fluff it, and we like put the materials, and um, it's always gonna be a little friction, but again, I think a lot of people feel probably like design runs over budget, you know, we, we change things, we don't deal with the schedules correctly, and that can certainly happen. I mean, but, I think as a designer, I really feel like having a professional outlook on the project as a whole is really crucial. And there's more designers doing that than not. And so again, communication and, and uh, let's all try to work to get a really successful project. <laughs> yeah. Cause we're all in it for the same outcome. We're all in it to help the client have a beautiful project. It, we're all there to yeah help each other. So we just have right. to go in it with a positive outlook. Because I think too, with these, you know, some of the architects I hear, if you already have this negative 
preconception, well, already you're going to go in it with maybe a closed off facade. You're not going to maybe communicate much, which is just going to make the project worse. Yeah. It's, it's like the, yeah, it's, there's projects that can run so smooth and fun and there's stresses that come up, but if you already have an established rapport and good working relationship, you can work through all of those hiccups and it's going to happen. Um, but when it's the friction from the beginning, little things can be so hard to resolve. And, um, and that just only stresses the client out as well mm-hmm. and every party involved. So mm-hmm. um, it's really outlook on, on life and work, mm-hmm. kind of the same thing. So Yeah, I, I love working with interior designers because to me, which is why I moved into architecture is the little details were hard for me to like, like what's the sh- like Schluter metal going to be and what's the edge detail? How's the edge of the niche going to die into that? And what's the connection going to be with the shelf in the niche? And I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> I designed the niche and I designed the window next to it. Someone else can figure all the like details out because there are so, I mean, interior design is difficult. There is so many little details and like making sure the thicknesses of the material are right so that they die into each other just right. Like I have a lot of respect for interior designers and I feel like having them on the team really does help. So if I can say, okay, I want this niche, like in my last project, I had the niche that was long and um, was designed to match and mirror the long window perfectly, you know, and so that was like a design detail, but then how that then connected and how the tile went into it. If I had someone working on all that, it would have been wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. It, it really is someone even just checking over, um, having second eyes, knowing the project inside and out. And, and that's where also subs come in. I, I love working with, you know, the best millwork people that can really have solutions that I might not have even known about because I might, you know, I don't build product. I, I see what I love and I try to replicate that in my drawings. Um, but, you know, it, it does take a team to kind of figure out what the intention is and how to get to that in the, in the best way. Details, yeah. Design has tons of little details that um, it's hard to even fathom at the beginning of a project and then you get into it and you realize yeah the transitions of materials the the thickness like you said what makes sense for um dying into one material and do you trim it there's so many options and details within options so uh it's a lot it is a (laughs) lot lot. (laughs) okay so before we finish up i do want to establish or kind of what the difference is between a decorator and interior designer, because I think the words are thrown around a lot and there's confusion. And I think it'd be good for clients even to know because um, it's important to know like what the qualifications are for interior designer. And yeah. So if you can just maybe. Yeah. About that. Yeah, so design is, you know, what you're seeing from a lot of shows out there minus the construction ones are a lot of surface materials. So you know, that's the end game of a design project a lot of times, but it's not the only thing we can do. So, you know, the, the pillows and the furniture, even some like of the surface lighting and fabrics, drapery, those items are kind of 
at the peak of what we can do as designers. So designers are typically trained um, at, at school. You know, we have a certain amount of hours that we have to do to get certified after school. So we have to have a certain amount of, of years within school, hours outside under a professional designer. Um, and then there's a couple exams that we can take to get certifications. So not all designers get these, but there are certain states that actually require you to get these to be considered an interior designer. California is definitely working to get there, and I think it's only a matter of time. It's interesting that we haven't made that, um, you know, a requirement because California has such strict regulations with even stuff that we are specifying as designers. So, mm-hmm. you know, lighting is very restricted, some of the materials, the fire codes, and all of those items you know that we specify are crucial to the, the build out so as a designer you will really are looking at the materials that you're putting into a space that you're specifying you're looking at layouts at space plans a lot of times in this day and age people draft they drafted in the past now we do autocad or revit um, designers who are certified can actually sign off on drawings to the city um, and really overall it's kind of the differences the material selections um are you know the actual specifications um doing any of the drawings and really working through kind of city permitting and drawing sets i think that kind of differentiates and of course people who are decorators who have a good knack for this they could do some of those selections it's just more of kind of the overall knowledge base of it and some of the actual um, material, I think the materials that you're specifying are really crucial and, and getting certified I think is really important because it goes over some codes, it goes over just some principles of the architectural build out. And yeah, it's a little fuzzy, but I think it's gonna get more and more clear what California designers can, you know, who they can call designers versus not. Yeah, I'm surprised California <laughs> doesn't have that either. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, with that, I think, yeah, the material selection, because you have like life and safety. So if you're using a certain material in a wet area and it's not rated for that or it's, you know, slippery or something, that's not good. And so having that understanding or even uh, materials that are commercial rated versus versus not. So, yeah, I mean, I'm surprised for even doing commercial design it's not required. Yeah. So, and I think also in addition to some of the ratings, there's a big push in interior design for the wellness of a space. Um, lead certification buildings are really for the actual building itself, whereas the wellness certification is really for the inhabitants of that building. And so, there's a lot of different things that interior designers are keeping tabs on with those factors as well: the feng shui, the lighting, the air quality, um, and you know, getting certified and getting kind of keeping up on those kind of principles and the environmental impacts are also what I think interior designers are more aware of and going to push. Um, and really, you would never want a contractor that didn't have a license. So I think it's going to go the route of you don't want a designer that doesn't have a license or hasn't been, you know, trained. No. So, yeah, I think that's important. I mean, even like architecture, you need your license to be able to call yourself an architect. You can't even say you 
give architectural <laughs> services. So they're very strict on it. So that does make sense. Well, important. it is important. Okay, so when you're not designing, what do you like to do? I'm designing a lot these days. I feel like I'm really <laughs> busy with COVID. But um, my husband and my son and I, we all are bike riders. My son is three years old. So we like, he's already biking. He's already really good. He has four bicycles at home, which is insane. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, we like to bike. We like to go out. We used to like to go to concerts. Um, my husband's a chef. We used to like to go to restaurants. <laughs> but these so days, sad. I know. These days, though, it's really about outdoor activities. Um, I love, you know, anything design, anything that I can see that is inspirational. So I love museums. I loved going to hospital to restaurants for the mm -hmm. hospitality bit of it. Um, but really hiking, biking and being by the beach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And especially San Diego has really good hospitality design. They are. Yeah. Hospitality design group just or their um, their awards just awarded a local design firm here, which is pretty awesome because it's national. Yeah. Award. So yeah, we're the we're steel there. group. Yeah. Yeah, I saw yeah, that. Doing the morning glory. Yeah, it's really cool. I haven't really been to many, but sorry. I know, I'm, proud, I'm proud of San Diego. Yeah. I feel like we're as a design community, you know, realizing that the little coffee shops has potential to so awaken your senses and to be a nice place to visit and it's important so i'm excited about san diego and helping some of the projects along the way yeah definitely well awesome well so um where can people find you where can they support you yeah so um i you know they can go to my website see some of the work that i've done adesignspace.com um i'm currently working on projects throughout uh, the united states so i have some a project coming up that i'll be uploading on to my Instagram page soon, but really uh, reach out to me via my you know, website or my email, Maria, M-A-R-E-A at adesignspace.com. And what's your Instagram? I, adesignspace.com, but that is coming. So okay. that January, they'll, it'll be launched. <laughs> okay, perfect. And I'll link all that in the notes. Sounds good. Awesome. awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, friend. You're welcome. I appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you all so much for listening to Maria and I chat. I think she provided so many good, valuable insights on what it's like to work with an interior designer and also just how to collaborate as a team and communicate. And I really hope that you guys go check her out. I will link all her website and her um the ways you can find her in the show notes. It's adesignedspace.com. And um, like she said, her Instagram will be launching in January. She, you can follow her on her personal one. She definitely shares a lot of her great designs on there. And that is at underscore Maria underscore Riedler underscore. I will put that in the notes though. So it's a little bit easier to find. And also follow along with me at Be Young Design and on my website, beyonddesign.com. And please, I want to hear from you. Are you a client looking to form a team and whether this helped you figure out what the roles and responsibilities are? Are you an interior designer? And do you have any insight on being a team? And have you worked with architects? Have you worked with contractors? What, what has your experience been like? And then of course, are you an architect? And you know, I I feel like I've heard from quite a few architects and 
maybe they're not so pleasant experiences um, dealing with interior designers, but I want to hear what are some positive experiences? How have you worked with a team and had it be great? And, and if you have done that, I want to hear maybe any tips or tricks that you have to make it great. Because I think it's so important, as I said in the beginning, just for overall a great team. So anyways, we are done for today. I will see you guys next week. Don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps, you know, support this small business endeavor that I'm working on. And if you have any questions, reach out as well. Talk to you guys later.